I found the home of my dreams. However, it is listed at the top of my price range. I want to make an offer, but I fear that the seller may not be negotiable on the purchase price. What are some items that I could negotiate that might cause the seller to consider a lower purchase price? What if I decide to pay full price? Could I possibly get some other concessions that would make things better for me? These are the questions that I'm going to talk with my colleagues about today as we discuss things to negotiate other than the purchase price. I'm Eric Hutchinson and I'm the principal broker and owner of Hutchinson Realty. Welcome to episode 11 of Real Estate Talk for Northwest Arkansas. I have two of my real estate friends with me. And so, hey friends, why don't you introduce yourself and let's get into our topic today. Hey everyone, my name is Cole Eady. I'm a realtor with Hutchinson Realty and I've been a realtor for almost a year now. Hey Cole. Hi, my name is Sandy Wellesley. I am an executive broker with Hutchinson Realty, and I have lived in Northwest Arkansas for 23 years now. Hey, Sandy. So glad to see you guys here today. Happy late Memorial Day. It's uh, yesterday I cooked out some hamburgers, and we had a, a good time with my father and mother. And my father, of course, started Hutchinson Realty, so it was good to fellowship with him. I'm so glad that he's still alive. He's 83 this July, which I find it so hard to believe. But anyway, we are excited to talk to you, the listener, about our topic today. But before we get into our topic, Colt, why don't you give us a weather report as we're going into the summer? Are our inventories increasing or are they still decreasing? What's going on? Thank you so much, Eric. Well, actually, they've uh, increased, which is great news. So as of today, May 30th, 2023, there are currently uh, 1,524 homes for sale in Benton and Washington counties, which is an increase of 54 homes from this time last week, which we had 1,470 homes for sale. Yes, Yay! finally. Yay. <laughs> uh, however, today I'm only going to go over the six largest towns. Our inventories in the six largest towns have increased to 966 homes, which is 35 homes more than last week. Hooray. Yay. We are going to look at uh, how many houses are for sale in Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, Bentonville, Centerton, and Bella Vista. And we're going to start with Bella Vista. So Bella Vista currently has 189 homes for sale, 97 are new, and 92 are resale. The median list price is $405,000, and the price per square foot is $199. Next, we will do Bentonville. Bentonville currently has 185 homes for sale, 71 are new, and 114 are resale. The median list price is $550,000, and the price per square foot is $219. Next, we will do Centerton. Centerton currently has 108 homes for sale, 84 are new, and 24 are resale. The median list price is $427,000, and the price per square foot is $201. Next, we will do Rogers. Rogers currently has 151 homes for sale. 36 are new and 115 are resale. The median list price is $525,000 and the price per square foot is $217. Next, we will do Springdale. Springdale currently has 123 homes for sale. 36 are new and 87 are resale. The median list price is $462,000, and the price per square foot is $194. And next, we will do Fayetteville. Fayetteville currently has 210 homes for sale, 81 are new, 
and 129 are resale. The median list price is $449,000, and the price per square foot is $209. And finally, with all towns listed, we have 966 homes for sale, 405 are new, and 561 are resale. The median list price is $467,000, and the price per square foot is $205. Thanks, Cole, so much. Boy, it's so good to actually hear you say the inventories have increased. We have been seeing decreases and, you know, whenever it's the rule of supply and demand, whenever our inventories go down and the, and the demand is still up, then our prices go up and it seems like they've been going up. They've been the last six months hanging around that $200 per square foot average. And so it's just really good to see that we're starting to increase a little bit in our inventories. In fact, you know, having uh, 35 new houses in our six towns is just wonderful. But I did notice that Centerton has a oversupply of new construction and Bella Vista has more new construction than resale homes, which is amazing. Bentonville is starting to get a few resale homes on the market, which was good to see that as well. Maybe, just maybe, uh, and Sandy, you can comment on this, maybe uh, the reason that our inventories are increasing could have something to do with our interest rates. What do you think? Well, since our interest rates are also increasing, I think that might have something to do with it. Yes. Um, I've got the interest rates for today, which are as of this morning. And I wanted to make the note that they're based on a 740 credit score for a conventional loan. 680 credit score for FHA and 700 for VA loans, okay? And your loan amount is also going to be a factor in the rate that you receive. So having said that, let's move forward with our interest rates. Um, this week, a conventional 30-year fixed is available for 7.5%. I don't believe that that has changed from last week. I think we were at 75 15-year fixed is available at 6625 and that did bump up, as did our FHA and VA 30-year fixed. Those loans are available at 7%, so we saw an increase in government loans as well. So, so there we are. And, yes, I think that has a little bit to do with uh, the increase in our, in our supply. I'm still, um, we're still way down for this area, but it is nice to see those numbers go up. Yes, I agree. And I think that the interest rates, because that means that payments go up if a buyer you know, could afford a $2,000 a month payment, and then the interest rates jump up to 7% from six and a half. And that may mean an extra $100 a month that they can't afford. And so something has to give. And so either a buyer has to come in that can't afford it, or the seller has to lower their price. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I thought it was interesting, Sandy, that you mentioned the credit score thing. And of course, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, we saw that the the bar or the threshold to get the very best rate had changed from 740 to 780. So if you've got a good credit score, maybe it's 7 you know, 40, uh, a few weeks ago, you could have uh, received the best interest rate possible. But now the government has raised that threshold for everybody. But the threshold, again, for the people that have the best credit score is now 780, which is a little bit frustrating uh, to see that. And I, and mm -hmm. I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Wish, wish that uh, that hadn't have happened. But who knows, it may be changed back eventually. 
Fingers crossed. Yes, hoping yes. hoping for that. Yeah. So, but you know, always check with your lender. These interest rates change. We we're seeing them change daily, mm-hmm. and so check with your lender, and don't just check with one lender. And I know that all my lender friends are like, "Don't say that," but I will tell you <laughs> that it's better for you. I always tell my son, he's twenty two, and he's learning lots of great things in life. And I say, you know, information for the most part is free. Mm-hmm. It's like you can get all this information. It costs you nothing but it could help you in making a decision. And so always, yeah, go ahead. What I find interesting is that we will shop around literally for rates on everything. You know, I went last weekend to Branson. I was all over every site, Expedia, you know, Travelocity, all the things, trying to find the best rate to save myself some money for the weekend. But when it comes to a very, like the largest purchase you are probably ever going to make, a lot of times people only make one phone call. No, we love our lender friends. We love all of our lender friends, but you have to go with the lender, number one, that you have a connection with, and number two, that works within the finances that you have. So I think shopping around is is something that homebuyers don't do often enough. Yeah, I agree. I normally give about three lenders and let them do that. Let them compete, you know, and, right. and if you're a buyer, you know, ask your favorite lender, hey, so-and-so lender gave me this rate. Could you match that? Because you'd be surprised that they have some negotiating power themselves. Right. Which is a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today, which is a little bit uh, interesting, I think, anyway. Of course, you know, I'm a little biased, but I think that negotiating, you know, we talk about getting the best rate. And, you know, even whenever you're going on a trip, my wife loves to shop the airlines and all that stuff. And we, we're trying to get the very best deal. But in a seller's market, that's tough. It's really difficult to get. Uh, the best deal when a house just goes on the market and there's not that many homes in the market and it's the home that you want. And so you want this, but you're afraid that if you wait very long, that it's going to go under contract. And then, so, you know, a little bit of a concern there. How can we negotiate whenever the seller puts their home on the market and you know that they're not going to be very negotiable on the list price? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I always like to, I love stories and I like to uh, my mind works in a way of whenever I see an image or a metaphor or something that helps me. And so whenever I was preparing for our topic today, I thought back to old Little House on the Prairie. I don't know if you remember that old show. My <laughs> daughter has every episode on DVD. And uh, so I've watched all the episodes and some of them multiple times. But back then they didn't have cars. And they lived on the prairie, and they had horses and cows, and they had uh, the way they pulled uh, whenever they went into town for supplies, they had a, a cart or a wagon. And sometimes whenever they were on their way into town, they would hit a hole, the wagon would, and the wheel would fall off. I mean, it would break the wheel. And the thing is, is that the wagon's very heavy, and one person can't lift that wagon up. And so they need something to lift that wagon up. And we call that leverage. And so they would go get a limb or a big pole and they would stick it under there and they would, they would, that would enable the person to lift it up so that they could fix the wheel. And I started thinking, you know, that's very much like real estate. Uh, we need to use the leverage that we have because that's really important. So we're going to, I'm just going to throw a scenario out here. We're going to walk through this a little bit. So we're going to say a new house goes on the market and there's a buyer that wants this home. We'll say the house is at $350,000 and the buyer says, 
I want to offer $5,000 below. Now, sometimes realtors are like, I don't think they're going to take that. And, and that may be the case, but the buyer wants to offer that. There's no other offers on the table. So this isn't a multiple offer situation. So we're going to talk through maybe what are some of the benefits. Now, Sandy, I'm going to give you a softball. I'm going to uh, throw this softball at you. <laughs> you're going to say, we're going to say your buyer has cash. And uh, wh why, why is, <laughs> so why is that? They say cash is king. Why is cash such a benefit uh, for, you know, a transaction? Well, I, there's just so many hurdles that you do not have to jump over if you have cash. You do not have to. First of all, there's the time frame. Literally, all you have to wait on is title work. So how fast is your title company? <laughs> you know, how fast can they pull this together? I mean, you could look at a closing in seven days. Yes. You could close in two weeks. Now, there are other considerations, time frame that we're going to talk about later, but you can close relatively quickly. The other thing that you don't have to worry about is you don't have to worry about getting your loan. You don't have to be pre-approved. You don't have to go through getting all the documents and the credit checks and all of that, which takes time. Um, and you also don't have to wait on an appraisal. Now, a seller can ask, I mean, a buyer can ask for appraisal just to be sure, but they don't, it's not a requirement. The right. lender is the one requiring the appraisal. So it's a very, it's very fast. It's seamless. There are very few things that you have to do. And sellers look at that and go, yay. There's, it's just a relief, I think, to right. not have to go through everything. There's no contingencies on those items. No you know? contingencies. That's right. Because every contract is, I mean, that we write uh, is contingent upon the house First of all, the buyer getting a loan, mm -hmm. and second, the house appraising, appraising for yes. the purchase price. And I will tell you, I, I mean, I've had my share of cash deals uh, throughout the last 27 years, and I will tell you that um, most buyers that have cash, that they're usually pretty particular about their money, mm -hmm. and they don't want to buy, uh, they don't want to hire an appraiser. So yes, it can happen. They can yes. do an appraisal, and they could make it contingent on that, but most of them don't. No. And that's part of their leverage to say, hey... I can close in a week and there's no appraisal and there's no loan process. Right. That's a huge, that's a huge deal. It's a huge benefit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the market that we have been in where we have seen elevated, elevated home prices and, you know, our, our market has justified those prices, but there's been more than one seller that has gone, is it going to appraise? Is it going to appraise? You know, and I think as realtors, sometimes we've had that question, is it going to appraise? With cash, you don't have to even think about it. Yep. It's not a thing. Not it's fantastic. A deal. So yeah. Cole, let me ask you, you're a, a well, we're going to say, and you, you would be, if you put your home on the market, you would be a seller. Let's say that you have your home on the market, an agent brings you a cash offer, with the with their buyer and say, hey, here's here's a cash deal, and you know you're like, oh, that's awesome. What would you ask the other realtor? How, what, what would you say? Because if a buyer is getting a loan, we normally ask, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, a pre-approval letter. But someone that says, hey, I've got cash, you're like, great. You you say you have cash. What would you ask the um, what would you ask the other agent? Do you have anything that you would ask the other agent to uh, solidify that? Uh, proof of funds. 
man, I always recommend having a proof of funds because, you know, we have a saying in the South, we're just whistling Dixie, which basically means <laughs> nothing. Right. It means that you're whistling, but there ain't no proof there. So, um, you know, it's got to be more than just words. And if you say, yeah, we're going to offer you $345,000 cash close in a week, they're like, great. I'm going to start packing as soon as I know you have the cash. Right. And so how do they know that? We get what we call proof of funds. And that just means that the the buyer provides a bank statement. So here's the here's the money. I've got four hundred thousand dollars in here, and they can they can take a photocopy of the bank statement, or they can get a letter from the bank that says that they have sufficient funds. Something official. And so again, I'm just recommending to the the buyer or the seller that if there's a cash deal, make sure you've got some proof there that it is a cash deal. Now, Cole, I'm going to ask you about <laughs> conventional loan. Let's say that you have a buyer and they're going conventional loan. What would you do? Uh, you know, what, you know, what leverage do they have? What would you do to, to leverage your buyer's position? Well, you would have to, um, if you're going conventional, first off, you'd have to get a prequal or a pre-approval letter from the lender. And the good thing about conventional loans, uh, you can get them done in, in three to four weeks. Uh, but it always it depends on credit score, and then it depends on your debt to income as well. Yes. So they do have to get qualified. But I will tell you, there's a little bit of a difference between pre-qualification and pre-approval. Now, some lenders use these words interchangeably. And so, but here's my thoughts. Um is pre-qualification means that nothing has been given of proof. We talked about proof of funds. So the buyer says, hey, I'm going to make an offer. I need a pre-qualification letter. It's as simple as making a phone call to the lender and saying, I make this much money per year and I have these debts. And the lender is assuming that you're telling them the truth and they pre-qualify you based upon that verbal information. But that is not proof. And sometimes, and it's not even where the buyer is trying to be deceptive, they forgot about that they co-signed with their kid to buy a car or whatever. And there's some things that can affect that credit score that they didn't know. And so it's really important to, at the very minimum, get a pre-qualification. But I would tell the buyer, I would say, hey, ask your lender if there's a stronger word that we can use. Do you have a pre-approval process? And maybe that means that the buyer provides them some actual proof of their pay stubs or their their debts or whatever it is, or do a credit check, do some stuff that can turn that pre-qualification into what we call a pre-approval. To me, the pre-approval is a little bit stronger than the pre-qualification. So those two words are different in my opinion. So I know I'm giving an opinion here and I, and I have seen some lenders use those words interchangeably, but I think that if you could get a letter that said it was pre-approved, to me, that's a stronger language than the pre-qualification. So, well, let's talk about government loans. So, uh, Sandy talked about cash. That's awesome. We talked about having a conventional loan and that we can close within three or four weeks. What about government? We've got FHA, we've got VA, and we have RD, which is 100% financing. Anytime you get a government loan, there is more what we call red tape. There's there's just going to be more uh, that's going on. You've got another person that's going to have to look at that file, and they're going to have to approve it based upon the government regulations. So, again, same things apply as it applied with yours on the 
Cole on the conventional is that they really need to do some prep pre-work, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I would say, you know, really uh, go talk to your lender first. And one of the things that I tell buyers whenever they call me and they say, Hey, I want to go look at these houses. First of all, are you working with another realtor? I don't want to step on any toes. Second of all, have you talked to a lender about your financial options? Because right. if this house is the house of your dreams and you want to make an offer, you don't want to be you don't want to be stopped because you forgot to go talk to a lender or the seller's going to say, "Well, where's your pre-qualification letter? Where's your pre-approval letter? You know, where's your proof of funds?" And so make sure that you've, you know, gone and talked to a lender first. Well, and I was going to say that your government loans are going to take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their own um, requirements that you have to meet. FHA and VA both have uh, different appraisal processes than a conventional loan. And so it's going to take a little bit. So, so if, you're a, in. <laughs> if you're a veteran, you have to have a certificate of eligibility right. that says that you can even... You have to have proof that you are a veteran and you have to go through that. So the lender has that. And then the government has to put their stamp of approval on it. So it does. I mean, normally, I think most lenders would tell you you need to allow for 45 days. But mm-hmm. it's still in the very end at closing is still money to the seller. Right. And so if you aren't, aren't competing with another another buyer, then again, you know, what what is your leverage? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And the next thing I want to talk about, Sandy, is what. So let's say that even if you're going government loan, mm-hmm. um, let's say that the buyer says, "Hey, I'm going to go VA. I'm a veteran. It's a better interest rate." But hey, I've got uh, forty thousand dollars to put down, and I only need twenty thousand dollars for the down payment because VA is one hundred percent financing. So I don't really, you know, for closing costs, I've got. I've got $40,000 and I don't even need half of that to, to get the loan. So what are some things that they could possibly do to leverage their offer? Well, um, a good thing to do, uh, again, to kind of show your intent to the seller that you're serious about the property and that you really want it, you can use that money either as earnest money or as a non-refundable deposit. Earnest money has lost a little bit of power at least in this area. Um, And most people, I think, are paying a little bit more attention to the non-refundable deposit. But what does that mean exactly if you put that money down as, well, it means exactly that, non-refundable deposit. So, you know, I think that that would be a good thing. You can put that on the contract that you're going to put that money down, and that will really show the seller that you're serious about buying that house. Yeah. So Cole, where does the earnest money go? Does it go directly to the seller or does someone hold that? It goes to a third party. Yeah. So we usually recommend a title company to hold the earnest money. So yeah, that's not as strong as a non-refundable deposit that goes directly to the seller. However, um, if you have a large down payment, um, Keep in mind, if you're a buyer, it's so for the buyer, having that money held with a third party is actually safer because if you give the money directly to the seller and he goes out and buys a car and you decide to back out of the deal, you don't ever get that money back. If you, uh, if you give the title company $10,000 earnest money, I will tell you that, that they cannot distribute that money until both parties agree to where that money goes. So if the buyer says, hey, I'm, I'm going to back out for home inspection, I want my earnest money back, 
you're going to get that money back. It's not the seller doesn't have an opportunity to spend that money. And so here's the point is that $10,000 is $10,000. Mm-hmm. It sounds really good. So if I offered, made you an offer and I had no money whatsoever, would you agree that my $10,000 earnest money on the sec- on this other offer is going to look stronger because I've got $10,000 that I'm willing to put some risk on. So some is better than none. So if I'm making an offer, even if it's a government loan and I've got $10,000 that I can put at risk. And again, earnest money is less risk than a non-refundable deposit. But if you're getting a government loan, that may be a better way to go, but it still looks good to the seller. The seller Mm -hmm. goes, well, they've got $10,000 of disposable income. They must be a strong buyer. So, yeah, go ahead, Cole. Uh, I was going to say on your non-refundable pause, I was just thinking while you were talking about this, let's say the buyer, you know, they, they get the contract with the with the seller and they're closing in 30 days and the buyer's like, okay, I'll give you $10,000 non-refundable deposit. But the buyer's like, man, I, I really don't want to lose five or 10000 What the buyer could do is, is just go ahead up front, write a check for $5,000 once the contract, once they're in contract. And then after the home inspection, if the home passes home inspection, then they could write the seller another $5,000 as non-refundable deposit. Wow. Great, great, uh, great comment mm-hmm. there. I think that's a great option for a buyer that uh, does doesn't want to put all $10,000 at risk, especially in the beginning, whenever they don't know whether or not the house is going to pass home inspection or not. And so one of the things, like you said, you could say, I'm going to put up a thousand or $2,000. And then after the satisfactory home inspection, I'm going to give an additional 5,000 or whatever. And so that's a really good option. Thanks for bringing that up, Cole. Um, I just think that you need to let, if you've got money, and, and I don't mean money to throw away, but if you've got money and because there are some buyers that don't have money, they have good credit scores, but they don't have any extra money. If you've got extra money, use that as leverage. If you're wanting to the seller to negotiate the purchase price, because otherwise the seller's going to be like, well, you don't have any money down. You're doing a government loan. Uh, I'm not going to come down $5,000 on my purchase price. If you've got nothing for me, because it's a kind of a, a give and take there. Guys, I will tell you, I had a guy um, two or three years ago, and he was a cash buyer. And he says, I've never paid full price for anything, and I'm not going to start now. We And I wrote nine contracts with this guy. and uh, But for him, um, cash was a big deal. And, and it is a big deal. But we were in a stronger seller's market than what we are right now. And so it was really hard to find the right place for him and to negotiate it down. But he would give a large sum of non-refundable deposit after the home inspection. We tried to leverage some of those things and he finally got a house. But my point is, is that use what you have as leverage because that may actually strengthen your case. So um, Cole, what are some other things that, um, you know, we can, so whenever we, we often use the word that we want to write a clean contract, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean we wash the, the pages with soap or what? <laughs> no, sir. Uh, that just means we don't want no additional cost to the seller. We want to make it as clean as possible um, for the seller. So, for example, like we don't want to ask, um, uh, for example, there's uh, no no repairs. We don't want to ask for uh, for them to cover anything. We don't want to ask for no home warranty, no personal items like a refrigerator, a washer, dryer, uh, no surveys, uh, just stuff like that. We just want to make it as easy as possible uh, for the seller where they don't have to pay 
anything. Absolutely. So making it clean basically means just, uh, I mean, a very uh, cut and dry uh, contract where the seller goes, well, this is simple. They're pre-approved. They're, re- they're not asking me for a home warranty. They're not asking for my personal items. And Sandy, you mentioned something earlier about uh, a deal that you had where the seller got a little upset about something. You want to share that? Yeah, this was actually one of the first homes that I um, read a contract on way back when. And um, when I read the contract, I had showed this couple lots of homes we had seen a lot and they finally found one that they loved and as we were writing the contract all of a sudden the wife said and i want all the furniture and i was like i'm sorry huh what (laughs) and it just it took me by surprise we had not discussed that at all but she loved the home and the way that they had it decorated so she wanted it every bit of it and you know, it was, first of all, a lesson for me, personal property and a real estate contract. And then second of all, once we finally got it written out and presented it to the seller, the seller was so upset that she wanted the furniture. And they they ended up getting the home, but it took some it took some calming down. It took a lot of counseling on both sides. Um, to get that deal to work. So, you know, you never know what is going to tip the scale for a buyer or a seller. So to me, it's just really important to, first of all, all, as realtors, for us to keep level heads. But second of all, as buyers and sellers also keep level heads so that, you know, we can get it all to work. Generally, when you view a home, the furniture, the personal property is not for sale unless they say this is available at an additional cost. So, you know, it was just an interesting transaction and a lot of lessons learned early on. So I think, again, talking through that with your realtor in the very beginning and finding out, uh, okay, what's my leverage and how can I word this contract? How can I say these things that are, is not going to be offensive? Now, it may be offensive when you offer $5,000 below, but if you are giving concessions for that, right? you know, and saying, hey, uh, I'm giving you a $10,000 earnest money or I'm giving a non-refundable deposit within three days and then more after the home inspection or you're doing something to benefit that, then that's, that's a give and take and maybe that'll work to your advantage. Sandy? One of the things, too, with closing costs, with you know, if you have a buyer that needs closing costs paid, the last deal that I had, I had some first-time home buyers and they needed, <clears throat> pardon me, some closing costs paid. Well, we actually upped the purchase price right. to compensate the seller for that so that that wasn't something that was coming out of his proceeds. You know, there are ways to do things that is a win-win for both parties. And our job as realtors is to help make that happen. Yes, so. absolutely. And, and you brought up a good point. You know, sometimes whenever a buyer goes government loans, they are needing their closing costs paid for. And that's the reason why they're going government loans. You know, RD, which is only available in certain areas, they're not available in, I think, Rogers and Springdale and Fayetteville, but they are available in Bella Vista, Pea Ridge, Gentry, and some of the other rural areas. That's why they call it rural development. But anyway, they're 100% financing, just like VA is 100% financing. But many times the buyer has a good credit, but they don't have any extra money. And so they need the seller to pay for their closing costs. Well, 
you know, it's a give and take. If you're if you're asking the seller to take care of five thousand dollars of your closing costs and you're offering five thousand dollars below, that's a ten thousand dollar subtraction from the seller's bottom line that you're asking and the seller just put their home in the market probably isn't going to happen. So if you are wanting the seller to pay for your closing costs, that's needed then maybe you ask for that, but you pay full price and you raise the purchase price up. Right. And so, again, the seller is looking at that bottom line and what they're going to net at the very at the very end. So, all right, well, I want to transition into one last thing that I think is really important. So I had this um, agent that worked for me several years ago. He's no longer working here, but whenever he worked here, he had a property that had, I think it was 16 acres and a house and a barn. And anyway, they were asking at the time, which sounds cheap today, but this has been several years ago. It was $360,000 for this house, barn, and acres, acreage. But it was a, it was a woman that lived there by herself. And I don't know what her history was, but she had a lot of stuff. Her barn was completely full of things. And so anyway, the house was for sale, $360,000. Well, a buyer came along and um, offered $345,000. So $15,000 below the list price. And it wasn't listed all that long. And the the seller, the woman got very offended and was like $15,000 below. Are you kidding me? And, and she goes, reject. She didn't even counter. And I always recommend countering, even if you're countering at full price to try to leave the door open. But the seller goes, nope. I'm really, it upset them just like what we were talking about a second ago with Sandy and the seller says, not going to, not gonna even going to consider it. Well, the buyer comes back to the agent, my agent and says, Hey, I want to offer three forty-five again. And he's like, do you really want to do that? He's like, she got pretty upset the first time he goes, well, he goes, let's offer three forty-five, But this time he goes, she has a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff. And he goes, maybe she needs time to move out of the house. He goes, let's give her 60 days. That's two months after closing. So after the property is transferred into the buyer's name, let's give her 60 days to move out of the house. So guess what happened? The seller, after they wrote the offer, the seller looked at that and said, oh my gosh, 60 days would be so awesome to move. Because she was overwhelmed by how much work she was going to have to do to move everything out. And guess what? She took the $345,000, a $15,000 item, just because he gave her 60 days. Didn't really cost him maybe some, well, she kept it, the utilities in her name. Didn't really cost him anything. Right. Um, but he conceded to give her 60 days to move out of the house. So I want to tell you that possession sometimes can be a really big deal. So here's the here's the bottom line. We need to kind of wrap things up here. But the if you are a buyer and you're represented by a realtor, have your realtor ask questions. It's really important to be curious. Is the seller uh, looking to uh, for a quick closing? Is get out as quickly as possible? Or maybe the seller is elderly. Maybe you noticed while you were walking through the property that you saw family pictures or something. You say, okay, they're they're elderly. Looks like they're in their 80s and may. And I will tell you that generation. Not the not to say there's anything wrong with this, but they want their money first. And then they want to move out because that was the way we did that, you know, 40 years ago. And so where the seller would actually have a week 
to move out of the property. And maybe that would be the difference in that $5,000 that you're going to offer below. So anyway, ask your realtor, hey, maybe uh, maybe the seller needs some time. Maybe that would um, give them something and then they can come down off of the purchase price. So it gives us some negotiating power there. So keep in mind, you've got some power even if you're going a government loan, 100% financing, you've got some power. You could say, I'm going to give the seller a week with no rent to get out of the house. They will already have their money, and then they can spend it however they want to, and they can, you know, they can relax and and move out on their time frame. That might be the difference. So anyway, those are kind of uh, the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit. Cole, did you have anything else? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you, Eric. I just had one last thing. Like you always tell all of us, information is free. So never hurts to ask. Absolutely. So if you're, you know, uh, gather as much information as you possibly can, have your realtor ask questions. Sandy, you got anything else you want to share with us? I don't think so. Not okay. today. Well, hey, guys, thanks for uh, listening today. Uh, if you are listening and you are ready to buy your next home or sell your next home, we've got 23 experienced agents here at Hutchinson Realty. We would love to discuss your options with you. We're all here to help. You can go to our website at hutchrealty.com and view all of the profiles of our agents. And you can also get a free home evaluation and you can search every one of those new, new listings that Cole talked about earlier. And uh, so get on there and search to your heart's content. You can always reach out to me at info at hutchrealty.com or you can just uh, uh, go to our website and send us an email from there. No matter what, we wish you the very best. May God bless you and may God bless your home. Thanks for listening.